Well, good morning, and uh, happy Epiphany uh, to you all and, and to any of our Eritrean brothers and sisters following the Eastern calendar. Uh, Merry Christmas. Uh, Epiphany is a day which uh, I, I've sort of kind of started referring to, uh, at least in my thoughts, uh, referring to it as Gentile Christmas. Um, because ultimately what Epiphany is about, it is about this manifestation, this, this revelation of something that was once hidden, something once unknown. It is about, it is about this light going forth and this promise that the Messiah, the Savior of the world, has come not just for the house of Israel, not just for the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, but He has come for the world. Jew and Gentile alike are welcome to come and know God and be a part of His family through the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ. In fact, this morning in our epistle lesson from Ephesians chapter 3, It is that exact mystery that Paul reflects upon as he writes to the Ephesian Christians. At this point in his letter, he has been writing a great deal about what has happened and a great deal about this new inclusion of the Gentiles in the promises of God. And he comes to this point where he writes what we read this morning. Here again, what Paul writes from Ephesians chapter 3. It says, For this reason that is, the inclusion of the Gentiles, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus throughout the gospel. So Paul here reflects upon his ministry. And what Christ has sent him to do in his preaching. And he says, it is for this reason, this this mystery being revealed. This fact that the Gentiles are now included in in the promises of God. That the Gentiles are now included in that covenant that was made with the house of Israel. Because of this, Paul is going about the Roman Empire and he is proclaiming this good news. He is proclaiming this gift, proclaiming this revelation. Now perhaps a question for us is, why is this inclusion of the Gentiles considered a mystery? Why is it that this was sort of previously not the case, or or was in some part hidden and not fully revealed, as Paul says? Now you see what Paul points us to, is he points us back to the whole story of God and His people up until the point of Christ. He points us back to the promise that God had originally made with His servant Abraham. Perhaps you remember the story that Abraham is called 
to go and settle in this new land, this new place, into the land of Canaan. And it's Abraham that God promises will be the one through whom the Messiah comes. It is through Abraham that God says all the nations of the earth will one day be blessed. And when God makes this covenant with Abraham, He gives them a sign of this covenant. And that sign is a sign of circumcision. Here from, or excuse me, here from Genesis chapter 17, verses 9 and 10. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Now it's important to note here that when God speaks these promises to Abraham, specifically, who does God say they are for? For you and your offspring. These initial promises that is sealed with the sign of circumcision is made to Abraham and his sons and all of his descendants. It is a very specific narrow group of people that God makes this promise with. And it is sealed with the sign of circumcision. Now this isn't to say that all other nations or all other peoples were entirely excluded. But for them to be included in these promises, they had to bind themselves to the house of Abraham and the house of Israel to follow. In fact, we hear that in Exodus chapter 12. This comes at the institution of the Passover when Israel is enslaved in Egypt and God has poured out these ten plagues upon Egypt for their disobedience when God sent Moses to say, let my people go. And finally we get to the tenth plague where God says that every firstborn in the land of Egypt will be taken. But God gives the people of Israel the Passover meal where they place the blood of the lamb on the on the doorposts of their house. And as the angel of the Lord comes through taking every firstborn, that blood on the doorpost is that sign for the angel to pass over. Now once again, this meal is given specifically to the people of Israel. But notice here the way that others are able to partake. Exodus chapter 12, verse 43, And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it, but every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns with you. So the way for a foreigner, for someone of another nation, to come and partake of the promises of God, to partake of this special status that the chosen people of Israel had, 
was through what? Through circumcision. It was through that sign and that action that they could come and be partakers in this covenant of God. And it was only through that, apart from circumcision, the Gentiles could not be included. Now, once we get into the era of the kings and the prophets, we see this promise that begins to sort of take shape, particularly in the book of Isaiah, where God envisions a day in which the Gentiles will come and fully partake in the promises of His people. Listen to what God says to His people in Isaiah chapter 56. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to Him, to love the name of the Lord and to be His servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds My covenant, these I will bring to My holy mountain and make them joyful in My house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on My altar. For My house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples, The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. So here through the prophet Isaiah, God envisions and he proclaims this promise that there is a day that is coming when it won't just be the house of Israel who come to the house of the Lord to offer sacrifice and praise and worship. But one day all nations are going to be gathered and be invited to come and worship the Lord. And their worship will be acceptable in the sight of God. And in this word from Isaiah 56, notice what isn't mentioned. There is no mention of circumcision. And so here we see throughout the Old Testament, God's promises made to a specific group of people to Abraham and his offspring. Though at the same time, there is envisioned this day in which those promises will extend not just to the house of Israel, not just to those who receive the covenant of circumcision, but to all people, all the nations of the earth will be recipients. But the question that often existed was how? How would this happen? How would this come about? How would God's promises go from a specific group of people, granted through a specific sign that is circumcision? How would it go from something small to something so great, something so large? How would things change from where the nations were completely cut off from God to one day everyone being drawn near? Listen to what Paul says earlier in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, again, writing to Gentile Christians, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of the promise, having no hope and without God. In the world. Previously, things were pretty bleak. Previously, those who had not received the sign of circumcision were perhaps a bit ironically cut off. 
They were separated from God. Distant from Him. Having no hope in the world. But Paul says because Christ has come. And because His blood has been shed. Not just for Israel. But for all creation. Those who were once cut off. Those who were once distant and far from God are now invited to draw near. And it is not through the covenant of circumcision. It is not through this sign, but rather they are invited to draw near by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so you and I and all creation, those who are born outside of the house of Israel, are now invited to come and partake in that promise. This mystery has been revealed. We no longer live in darkness. But because the light of Christ has shone upon creation, all are invited to come and see and know God and partake in His grace. This is what Paul says his ministry is dedicated to. It is dedicated to going forth and proclaiming this revelation, this mystery that has now been revealed. It is going forth and proclaiming to the nations that Christ has come for everyone, including you and me. Listen to what Paul continues, as he, what he says as he continues in verse 7. It says, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So Paul says here that this was always the plan. It was once hidden, It was once somewhat unknown, but it has always been the plan from the very beginning. And Paul proclaims this so that, in verse 10, so that the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. Paul characterizes his entire ministry as going forth and proclaiming to the nations that that what was once a mystery has now been revealed and made known. The curtain has been pulled back. There is nothing hidden any longer. Now all people are invited to come And know and receive the promises of God. And notice that Paul says that he is doing this. He is going forth and making this mystery known to the nations. So that the church would go and do likewise. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God. This abundant, great, unfathomable wisdom of God would be made known. To all people. Paul embarks on his ministry so that you and I and all the church would go and do likewise, that we would go forth and make known this mystery. 
that has now been revealed. This promise that through Christ and His blood, all are invited to come and receive the grace of God. No longer do we have to walk in darkness. No longer do we live in ignorance. Because through hearing and receiving the gospel, the light of God, the light of Christ has shined upon us. God's promises have been completely and perfectly revealed. In Jesus, everything that we need to know has been revealed. And I think that in Jesus and in what He has done, there are three very simple things that He reveals about us, about God, and about our purpose. See, the coming of Jesus, the first thing that it reveals to us is it reveals our sin. Now, I think maybe it it's, sounds a little odd to associate the coming of Jesus with the revelation of our sin. We often talk about that coming with the revelation of the law, which is certainly true. But at the same time, I think sometimes we think if it were just up to the law by itself, we could muster up enough strength to save ourselves. But you see, it's in Jesus that the depth of our sin, that the depravity of humanity is truly revealed. Because not only in Jesus does His teaching tighten the demands of the law. Right? Jesus, He, he makes the law not merely about outward actions, but about what? About the heart about the reason behind all of our actions. So not only does He tighten the law, but on the cross we are shown how deeply the human problem really is ingrained in each of us. If the cross of Christ is the payment that our sin demands, then the reality is is that you and I, on our own, we had no hope of of saving ourselves. We couldn't do it on our own, but the cross of Christ, it displays not only that we can't do it on our own, but it displays to us that we don't have to. And so not only does Jesus reveal to us our sin, He also reveals the salvation of our God. Through Jesus, God's path to salvation and rescue is made known. And when God drew near to us in Jesus, He drew near not to condemn, but to set free and to rescue. And so He shed the blood of His own Son on the cross so that you and I and all creation could be set free from the curse of sin and death and the power of hell. In Jesus, we discover not only the depth of our sin, but we discover the depth of God's love for us. We discover that God's salvation has been revealed. And now that His salvation has been revealed, you and I discover that our purpose has been revealed. See, all too often we're led to believe that our lives are just about ourselves. That we're just intended to watch out for number one, to live for ourselves, and not worry about anyone else. But what we discover in Jesus is that our lives are not meant for us. But our lives are meant to be lived to glorify and honor the God who made us. The God who rescued us. 
Our lives are not about mere pleasure. It's not about merely racking up experiences or or wealth or, or possessions. But our life is lived to glorify and honor our Creator and our Redeemer. And not only that, our lives are set apart to love and serve our neighbor by making that revelation of God known. So we go forth and we love and serve both in word and in deed so that we would take part in the church to make known the wisdom of God that has been revealed in Jesus. Because in Him we find a revelation that is for the nations. In Him, we no longer have to live in ignorance or darkness. We no longer have to wonder about how our God feels about us. But in Jesus, His love has been made known. His redemption and salvation has been offered. So don't go and live in ignorance. Because you don't have to live in the unknown. You don't have to wonder any longer. Because everything that you need to know about yourself everything you need to know about God and His salvation, and everything that you need to know about His purpose for you has come. In Jesus, His light has shined. And His work and His promises have been revealed. Amen? Amen.